Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Kasihlah Tuhan Alamu dengan segenap hatimu, dengan segenap jiwamu, dan dengan segenap akal budimu. Tu dois aimer le Seigneur ton Dieu de tout ton cœur, de tout ton âme, de toute ton intelligence. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded them. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you again. Thank you, kids. Thank you for being here today. Sure loved having you. <laughs> They always leave when I come up. I can't figure this out. Um, my name is James, and uh, I am the, the interim lead pastor here at Trinity. And um, I'm so excited that we are kicking off this new series today called Love Where You Live. Uh, this is a, a subject matter that is, is uh, close to my heart, and uh, well, I just want to spend some time thinking about that greatest commandment, you know, the greatest commandment, to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. You know, it's actually two commandments folded into one. It's considered the greatest commandment ever. Now, most of us agree when we think about the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor and yourself. We think about it and we think, wow, that, is so, that just sounds so good. You know, I agree with it. I'm all for it. Uh, but when it comes to actually living it out, there's this sense that, well, that's really kind of impossible. You know, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. That's impossible. And whenever we come across something that appears to be impossible in the scriptures, or at least what I do, is I have a tendency to say, well, I really like what that's saying, but I believe that is a, an ideal that we should aspire to and kind of chalk it off as, Something to aspire to, but not something that we are actually going to be held to. Because how can you be held to something that's impossible? But what if, what if God's call for us was to take this command literally? What if there was a way for us to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor 
the way that we love ourselves? And what if we did put it into practice as a community? What kind of impact would that have on the world around us? The elders were thinking about um, this fall, and we came across this book called The Art of Neighboring, which is going to be the book that we use to, to, to kind of lead us through this campaign. And it's focusing on building uh, genuine relationships right outside your door. And after we went through the book, we, we agreed this is going to be a terrific catalyst for moving our church in this direction of loving God better and loving our neighbors and putting that into practice. And so, of course, if, you, if you'd like to be part of this, you'll want to get that book right after the service today. It's right out front. Now, in chapter one of The Art of Neighboring, in chapter one of this book, uh, there, the author, Dave Runyon, who lives in Denver, is telling a story about uh, a conversation that he had with the mayor of Denver, uh, Bob Free. And, you know, it's not every day that you get to have a conversation with the mayor of your city. And so when you know you're going to meet the mayor, you, you kind of prepare a couple of questions that you might ask. If you, if you had the chance. And uh, Dave is a pastor, so the question that Dave had for, for Bob was, what would it look like, or how could the church make a difference in this city? What are some specific things that we could do to really help this city? And, and, and Bob looked at Dave and he said, you know, the majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of really great neighbors. And when I read that in the book, I immediately thought, wow, you know, that's exactly what Jesus is calling us to in the Great Commandment. And then I, I started reading on, and, and soon after that discussion was taking place, the assistant city manager, Vicki Ryer, who was part of that conversation, mentioned to Dave that from the city's perspective, there is no noticeable difference between a neighboring response from the church and any other demographic within the city. There's no noticeable difference. And when I read that, I thought, man, that, it just made me sad. Because what I, what I realized is, for 2,000 years now, we've known the greatest commandment, and we believe it, and we want to live it out, but somehow, we're not doing it. And... I know that the commands of God are not designed to suck the joy out of our lives and to make us feel like we have to follow this elaborate set of rules. They are designed to be life-giving and to free us up and to enable us to live the abundant life. And so we're missing something here by not being the neighbors that we're called to be. 
Now, if you were to look at Trinity's mission statement, you would see that we are an international, multi-generational community dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ who are growing in faith, obedience, and joy as we go out to advance God's kingdom. It's kind of a mouthful. But every aspect of that mission statement is critical to what we believe God is calling us to as the church universal and also this specific body of believers. And it's built upon five pillars that are embedded within the mission statement. Community, faith, obedience, joy, and going out. Now, when we think about the pillars of our mission statement and how Trinity is doing, we can look down and we can say community, yes, we've got a great community, we're doing that really well. Faith, yes. Obedience, yes. Joy. But when we get to the going out part, it's kind of like that part on Dr. Phil where he says, how's that working for you? Right? We, we kind of struggle with the going out piece. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But the elders got together and we thought, you know, if that's, if that's the, the part of our mission statement where we're kind of struggling, we're floundering a little bit, Maybe we need to, to spend some, some time focusing specifically on that over the next several weeks. And so that's what we're going to do in this season. When Jesus narrowed the commandments down to loving God and loving your neighbor, he said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Now, when you think about the commands of God, I immediately think of Charlton Heston in the movie The Ten Commandments. Because I've seen that movie many times and I picture Charleston, you know, going up Mount Sinai to get the stone tablets. And, and when you see that movie and you think about that, you think, well, that's really what, what it's talking about, the Ten Commandments. That's how many commandments there are. But if you were to look at Exodus, the entire book, you would find that God actually gave Moses... 613 laws or principles or precepts, and some people would say they're commands. 613. So what Jesus is boiling down from 613 is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Everything hangs on that. Now, if you were to look at the 200 or, or the 613 uh, laws or commands... 248 of them are positives, meaning they tell us what we should do. And 365 are negative, and they remind us of what we should not do. And if you put them together, it makes 316. A lot of laws. All boiled down to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, in Jesus' day... The Pharisees and the experts in the religious law spent much of their time memorizing all 613 laws. They spent all day long memorizing these laws and trying to obey them religiously. And they were very prideful about the effectiveness of doing that. They had 
effectively memorized many of the laws, all of the laws, and they are really good about living them out, but they don't really get the spirit of the law. Okay, so they're very pious, very prideful. And Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus is loving everybody. He's loving the sinners. He's loving the prostitutes. He's loving everyone that comes his way. He's very caring and concerned about their hearts and their souls. And the religious leaders are really kind of upset about this because from their perspective, any religious leader that had any merit whatsoever would know that you don't hang out with people like that. Those people. And so on one occasion, one of these experts in the law approaches Jesus with a question. And before I get into the exchange, it's helpful for us to know that this comes from the book of Luke. And in the book of Luke, the first nine chapters of the book of Luke are focusing on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Nine chapters dedicated to what it means to be a disciple. And then in verse, or in chapter 10, it switches gear and it tells you how to be a disciple of Jesus. In verse 10, Luke reveals a very important component of being a disciple. In addition to sharing the gospel, which is the first part that many of us latch on to, and in the first nine chapters of Luke, we see we're supposed to evangelize, we're supposed to share the good news, and when we share the good news, that is essentially loving God. Because remember, Jesus said, if you love me, feed my sheep, okay? Disciple people, speak into people's lives. Teach them about the good news. But in the second part of Luke, in chapter 10, there's this concept of neighboring that comes into play. So in Luke 10, 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So essentially what he's asking here is, what do we need to do to be accepted by God? What do we need to do to be accepted by God? And what we soon discovered is that this expert uh, isn't looking for the answer to that question. He's really looking to trap Jesus. He wants to expose Jesus as a fraud because his expectation is that Jesus will respond to that question by saying, you know what, it really doesn't matter what you do because God loves everybody which really wouldn't be in alignment with the scripture, and then he would have trapped Jesus. But what Jesus does is something interesting. He turns it around and he asks a question of his own. But before I get into that, why why do you think this Pharisee, this religious expert, is wanting to trap Jesus? Well, he recognizes that Jesus is hanging out with all those people, those people. Have you ever used that term, those people? You know, we we, we have a community of people that we connect with, that we resonate with, that shares our values, and then there are those people that don't live accordingly. And so these Pharisees are saying, there's no way that Jesus can possibly be 
a man of God, a teacher of God, if he's hanging out with those people. Now, there could have been a number of reasons, but I think that was the main one. He just, he just, this religious leader couldn't get past the fact that Jesus would, would love anyone. Because in their mind, if you, if you fraternize or spend time with people, those people, it defiles you. Takes you away from what God would have for you. And in verse 26, Jesus says, what is written in the law? This is how he responds to the question. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the religious leader could have responded by citing all 613 laws. But of course, that would have taken a long time. And so he provides a summary. And it's the same summary that was agreed upon by the religious leaders and by Jesus, by the way. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That was the accepted response. But nobody really knew how to live it out. What does this mean, to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? It means that whatever is most important in your life, whatever we put all our heart and mind and soul and strength to, that's our faith. Whatever it is. Is it God? If most of us are honest, we'd probably say no. Is it the attributes of God? Is it his beauty? Do we have this burning passion to share the good news of God? It's probably not the first thing that comes to our mind when we get up in the morning. And yet that's the first test of the law. So Jesus says, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. But the religious leader wanted to justify himself because he realizes that he's getting pulled into a trap himself. He knows that he can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he knows that it's impossible to love your neighbor if everyone is your neighbor. And so... He asked the question, and who is my neighbor? Do you see what he's trying to do there? He's trying to narrow the scope. He's trying to make this something that's accessible, something that's doable. Why would he do that? Well, the reason he's doing that is because he's banked his entire life, his own salvation on following the 613 laws, religiously. And what Jesus is revealing in this moment to him is that, yes, that's a way of life. It is the way of life. But it's not the way to life. It's not the way to life. The way to life is recognizing that we are all broken sinners that we are incapable of loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. And so we throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus and we, in faith, trust that what God has done for us will pay for our brokenness and pave the way for right relationship with God and enable us to do things that we could never do in our own strength. 
but instead by the power of the Spirit. And over the next six weeks, we're going to look more deeply into what it means to be a neighbor, to love our neighbor as ourself, to think about the needs of people around us as if they were our own needs. And uh, to illustrate this, I, I wanted to, to introduce you to a friend of mine. Buck, this is Buck Burke. Um, Buck, come on up. I'm going to get a microphone for you. You may have been wondering why I was wearing this shirt today. Um, you, would, you may have thought, you know, the fashion sense of the leadership of this church has really uh, been shifting lately. We've gone from bow ties and suits to coffee mob shirts. Um, but Buck, Buck owns a coffee shop in my neighborhood. And uh, a few years back, uh, Elizabeth and I had Eva, and I wanted to spend more time with Eva, and so I asked the elders if I could work more hours on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Mon- I don't know what days it was, but I was home on Mondays and Fridays with Eva, and uh, that was such a, a wonderful season for me, and we live in a, uh, a neighborhood that's being gentrified out in Brooklyn, and uh, Buck... Uh, developed this amazing coffee house called Coffee Mob, and uh, it has been a catalyst for developing tremendous community. And so, Buck, tell me a little bit about what, where you're, you know, how you got into this whole coffee business and how you chose to, to develop it in our neighborhood. Uh, thank you, James. And also, I just want to say thank you to everybody here today. Good morning. Uh, thanks for welcoming me into this community today. Um, it's really an honor to be here today and to support this type of worldly cause. Um, while I was sitting down there um, admiring James's t-shirt, <laughs> I, I, I was looking at it and I, and I remembered something. And um, it was that before I actually even found the space, um, in my neighborhood where I actually reside and I live, I had to come up with a name of what my company was going to be. And I knew I wanted the name to be really simple and something that people would understand what this company was about immediately so there was no confusion. So I thought about the word coffee, that's my passion. And then the word mob um, popped up into my head. And a lot of times people ask me, like, oh, that's a really great name for your coffee shop. Like, how did you come up with that name? Because, you know, a lot of people get um, a little bit confused sometimes when they read the word mob. Um, they think, oh, negativity, gangsters, you know, like crazy people. Um, but really what I was trying to do was very early on create this sense of community. Um, so for me, the word coffee in relation to the word mob was really about bringing people together, a gathering of people to enjoy coffee. Um, little did I know um, that when I 
finally got around to opening up my coffee shop, that I was going to become so involved in my community. I mean, I understood that I wanted to create this environment, um, open doors, no discretion, a very kind of welcoming spirit to everybody who walked through the door. Um, But through perseverance and patience, um, I would say that that started to turn into something really special. And I think what was so special about what I created was the people coming through the door, the community, and the different types of people. Everybody is different. And over time, that started to grow and evolve into friendships. You know, I've had customers who've, who've brought their partner into my shop for a coffee date for the first time, and then down the line, they end up getting married, you know, and you see people coming in with, with children and babies and you and you know you kind of watch their children grow up for a few years and then you start developing relationships with their children and um, that kind of leads to other things as well uh, ways that people can help one another um, you know that could be anything really it could be really simple things like kind of um, introducing somebody to somebody who knows something about something and they're looking for maybe to get their windows fixed in their house and you're like, yeah, I know Joe, the uh, window guy. Here's his phone number. Um, that actually reminds me. We, we had, you know, early on, you know, I decided I wanted to invest in my neighborhood and uh, I was trying really hard to get to know my neighbors and was fairly successful with getting to know the people immediately around our home. Uh, but when Buck opened up this coffee shop and I had Mondays and Fridays at home with Eva, I thought, I'm going to be intentional about building into community. And so every Monday and Friday for about two hours each day, each of those days, I would go to Coffee Mob, I'd take Eva with me, and I would have some amazing coffee, and I would meet neighbors. And I would frequently talk with Buck and get to know him and and Buck would introduce me to, to people regularly. He soon found out I was a pastor, and pretty soon I'm doing counseling sessions in Coffee Mop, <laughs> and, and meeting people and talking about grieving. And, and uh, you know, there was a, a season in there where, um, and Eva loved it, by the way, too, because Buck was very relational with her, and we met all the neighbors in the, that had children in the neighborhood, and so Eva developed a lot of friendships, too, so she really enjoyed this time that we had together. And then there was this season where um, Buck's mother-in-law became very ill. And it was, it was very sudden. Um, it was, she was diagnosed with cancer, late stages, and she died shortly after. And because of the relationship that Buck and I had formed, um, he asked me if I would be willing to do the memorial service for that. Can, can you tell us a little bit about what prompted you to do that? Um, well, you know, I don't belong to any particular faith per se, um, although I feel like, um, my family does have a strong sense of spirituality. Um, so when my mother-in-law passed away, um, naturally we wanted to have, um, some type of service, um, and... Because we didn't belong to any specific organization, kind of didn't really know what to do to, to find a, a pastor to help us with this. And um, of course, you know, through 
Coffee Mob and, and my business, I met James. Um, you know, and that might just sing, oh, that's like a no-brainer, that's really easy. But um, I guess part of it, honestly, had to do with James, with your personality. And, um, you know, like uh, some people might feel like uncomfortable being around a pastor. Maybe they feel like they're in like the face of God and they want to be really, you know, <laughs> really careful about what they say because they don't want to say something sinful or whatever. Uh, you know, but it, my relationship with James was, was pretty sweet. It was just like, you know what? James does what he does, just like I do what I do. He's a human, just like I'm a human. And actually, he's a really nice guy. <laughs> so uh, it all just kind of made sense. And I know that, and, and you know, uh, beyond all that, the, I guess the more important um, reason for making that decision was that I believe that you had 100% faith in your religion and that's really what we needed at that particular moment to help guide us through that very difficult situation. Yeah. Uh, one of the beautiful parts of that was I had a chance to meet his entire family, I've gotten to know his kids and his wife, and every time we see each other, it's just, it's like, it's like family. And uh, it all happened just because I chose to be intentional about investing in this community uh, and then specifically in the people that God brought into my life in that coffee shop, Buck being primary among them. And every time I go there now, uh, I go there with intentionality. I go there expecting that God is going to bring a divine appointment. And I go in, and it's fun. I mean, on my way there, I'm like, God, this is going to be fun. Who are you going to bring into Coffee Mop today? And I sit down. And it always happens. Right. You better be careful with that. <laughs> Some of the exchanges are much more colorful than others, but it is really, it is really, really exciting and easy to do. And I think when you find a venue like a coffee shop or a gym or something that is part of your regular routine, people are there for a purpose, so it's not weird to you to, for you to strike up conversations. And, of course, there is that moment of weirdness when they find out you're a pastor, and they choke and, you know, lay on the ground and flop around for a little bit. But after they get over that, you know, it's, it's wonderful. And, uh, and I just wanted to close this interview, Buck, just by asking you more, a very personal question. Um, I'd just like to know where you are in your faith journey now and, and kind of how that has evolved over the years. Um, well... To be honest, like that is a question that I would probably talk for a very long time about. So it, it, it'll be really kind of hard to sort of pinpoint where I am in my faith at this particular moment in my life. Um, but I am a, quite a spiritual person, and I, I do strongly believe in, in loving your neighbor. Um, and uh, interestingly enough... Um, I had the opportunity to travel to India um, this summer. Just got back like no more than two or three weeks ago, and it was a good reminder to me that that faith that I kind of have inside myself of um, believing that there's a, a higher purpose in this life that kind of ties into 
um, everyone being equal. Um, jumping back forward again, when I traveled to India, I wasn't really expecting it, but it ended up being really interesting from one perspective because we kind of traveled through three different religions and saw so many beautiful things. You know, we kind of started off going to the Taj Mahal and we sort of had this like Muslim experience and then we kept traveling and we sort of went through a whole Hindu experience and then ultimately we ended up in the Himalayas and um, we were visiting like thousand-year-old Tibetan monasteries and um, it was really just a reminder that I was kind of on the right path and and that path for me, I think at this moment, is, is still that, you know, we're all equal and we need to sort of um, be transparent to that. I love that word, transparency. Um, and to not, you know, to be honest with myself and, and, and try to do no harm to other people. I don't like, I'm not the type of person who likes to sort of define who I am, but I, I kind of try to sometimes to the best of my ability. I don't know if that answers your question, James, but I hope that it helps a little bit. Sure, sure. Uh, The reason I wanted to ask that question is that, you know, a lot of times as believers, we we think we have to go in somewhere and seal the deal, right? And I think that that's beyond our control. You know, God is working in people's hearts and minds in his time, in his way. And my encouragement to Buck is just to remain open. You know, and, and, and look for the Lord to you know, reveal himself to him in his time and in his way. And I believe that's going to happen. I just have to keep going to Coffee Mob and we'll see, see what happens. But uh, I love the coffee anyway, so it works out. Uh, but Buck, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and for making the effort to come here. I know it's a big chunk out of your day and uh, I really appreciate you. You're a good friend. Thank you. Thank you, James. Lena, come back up here real quick. Um, one of the things that I wanted to do uh, in response to this whole idea of, of investing in, in communities is to create uh, some sort of a challenge for, for all of us to, to see that normal routine as missional. Okay? Um, there's a, been a lot of research on, on how we as human beings spend our time. And most of us spend most of our time at home. Uh, that's our first space. And then we spent the next big, big chunk of time at work. That's our second space. And then there's this third space where we tend to gather for the purpose of community and socializing. It might be a coffee house similar to Coffee Mob. It might be church. It might be, it might be uh, a gym where you work out. But it's part of your routine. And what I would like for us to do is to start thinking about that third space uh, with intentionality. To go there with a purpose. Expecting divine appointments like I did with Coffee Mom. And so, anyway, Lena and I were talking about this. Have a seat, Lena. And uh, we came up with this idea called the, the, the third space challenge. Tell us, how, how did we come to that? Um, well, I'm going to give you most of the credit, but thank you for involving me. Um, I think, you know, like you said, it's, um, you, I think you can become really insular, at least for me, once I came to faith, I didn't really hang out with many people outside of church, which was good for me, actually. 
Um, but I think eventually, right, you, you need to know that God's got you, that you have your values and things like that, and that you can venture back out. So, um, you know, you want to share your faith with people. You, you want to expand your horizons. You want to serve people. And, and so from, from that mindset... Yeah, you were you were having a conversation. You wanted to go out and see the McGregor fight, right? Mayweather, Mayweather, Mayweather fight. I know you probably lost a lot of money on that, but um, you 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 wanted to see that fight, and so you went out at, to a, to a bar, right? Tell me about what happened there. Yeah, I went to Baker Street Pub. I live in the neighborhood, so I went to Baker Street Pub and. I was there alone, um, but I was like, you know what, whatever, I'm in heels, this is going to be four hours, but I'm going to do it. I had a spot at the, the bar and, and an obstructed view of a TV, and then within five minutes, this other girl came up and was kind of looking around a little bit awkwardly. We start chatting. She was there alone, too, lives in the neighborhood, had started telling me this crazy story. People kind of tend to tell me their life story. So she told me this crazy story, and it's like the first time she's been out of the house in a long time. And, you know, and, and so we sit and watch the fight together. We get to save our spot when one of us has to go to the bathroom. Um, when we're talking about what we do, you know, I was able to share a little bit about my faith, not in terms of my actual day job, but in terms of, you know, acting and writing and film and the types of stories I want to tell. She asked about that. I told her, oh, stories about faith. She said, is that important to you? So, you know, I wasn't, like, ramming it down her throat, but I guess that. Yeah, there's a flag. There's a fly trying to get you. Um. So, so you had kind of one of those same kind of divine appointments yeah. simply yeah. by going out into yeah. this third space. Yeah. And so we started talking about that, and I said, I have this idea for this third space. And um, what would it look like if we had a third space challenge where we created a map of the entire city... And so Alina did that. And um, what we want you to do is to identify the third space that is part of your routine. And we're going to pinpoint them on this map. So we have third spaces pinpointed all over this map. And then what we would like you to do after that is to email Lena about those divine appointments. And then we're going to keep tabs on what God is doing in each of these locations, which I think is a really, really cool thing. And so... See Lena after, after the service today. If you have a third space already in mind, or think about it throughout the next week, and, and you can contact Lena. Lena, what's your email address? LenaAnk at gmail.com. Okay, and so we'll, we'll, we'll see her and if we can get that, uh, get that taken care of. Thank you, Lena. I have one last quick little interview. Marlene, come up here. Uh, one last component uh, is, is this. We, um, we believe strongly that everything that we do here has to be bathed in prayer. And, uh, you know, there's a lot going on in the church right now with the transition, um, with uh, our financial situation, a, a new series kicking off. And so Marlene approached me a couple of weeks ago, and, and you had this idea. Can you tell me about it? Sure. In my um, quiet time with, with the Lord, he... Um showed me that we should be intentional in prayer and in fasting because um, when we do that, we are focusing on him. So our eyes are not on the world, but on him. And this is um, a perfect time to do that because we are going through, through a transition, not only financially, but um, Keith passing on 
the mantle to you and then a search committee for a pastor um, that eventually, you know, will come to lead us. And also for um, our financial um, deficit, which affects ministries and affects our staff. And then also for um, this new series that we start, that is um, when we turn our eyes to God, he stretches us, right, to go out and to meet new people. But um, in prayer, he gives us the strength um, that comes from uh, Christ. So he gives us the heart of Christ, the wisdom, and the strength. Okay. And so, anyway, as we discuss this whole idea of, of developing a, a, an opportunity for both prayer and fasting, we thought, let's do a 40-day fast that will kick off tomorrow. And uh, when, when Marlene first brought it to me, I thought, you know, I don't know if there are many people in our congregation that are going to want to fast for 40 days. You know, <laughs> me being one of them. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but, but then as we discussed it, we thought, well... What if you, you don't have to necessarily fast for all of the 40 days. You could pick, we could create a calendar, a 40-day calendar, and we could get people to sign up for certain days that you're willing to fast, willing to pray for the church, and then we'll make sure that those entire 40 days are completely covered in prayer uh, with people that are willing to fast and pray on behalf of those initiatives and, and uh, issues that we're facing right now. And so Marlene is is putting that together. She's going to be downstairs in Fellowship Hall after the service today with, a, with the, the calendar. And if you'd like to sign up for, for one of the days or, or a week or all 40, if you'd like, um, she'll be available for you there. Okay. I, I just want to say that um, fasting is not just, you know, giving up food and, you know, going. There's different types of, of fasting. And also fasting could be anything from, you know, um, the day that you pick to pray, um, you don't go on Facebook or you don't watch your, your favorite show because the whole thing is to focus on God. Right. It's a and that the victory will come from God. Yeah. So, yeah. thank you. Jimmy. Thank you, Marlene. I appreciate you and I appreciate your vision for this. Okay. So... I just wanted to, to just illustrate some opportunities for us through these interviews, and I hope you, you're resonating with them. 